So as we jump into Hosea, you remember in our outline for the book of Hosea, it starts, first three chapters is the illustration of Hosea's life. So remember Hosea, prophet, called him to marry a prostitute. She's unfaithful. She has uh, kids through her unfaithfulness. Uh, big mess. She leaves Hosea. Hosea is alone uh, raising the kids. Eventually, God tells Hosea, go redeem your wife. He, go, he goes and buys her out of slavery and brings her back into his home to care for her for the rest of their life. This is an illustration of the prophecies Hosea is going to deliver to the nation of Israel and to Judah about what their future, uh, what they face in the future. So Hosea is going to look at Israel. Where's Israel going? Israel is going to be conquered by Assyria. And though they're going to be taken away and they'll never be restored. The people who are left in the land uh, of Israel after they're being conquered will become the Samaritans. And they'll be gathered in the, in the Holy Land at the time of Christ when Messiah comes. The southern kingdom, who had a little bit more desire to follow the Lord, is going to be conquered 150 years later by the Babylonians, and Israel will be destroyed and then rebuilt, and they will come back into the land during the silent years between the Testaments and the Malachi before Matthew during that period of time. Um, and they will uh, be there awaiting a word from God, which will come on the lips of John the Baptist when he stands before the people and declares, behold, the Son of God that will take away the sin of the world. So that's kind of the stage that is set in the chapters that we're in now from, from chapter 4 on this middle section of Hosea. The prophet is going to specify issues. And in chapter 6, the issues that are being specified is the fact that they are not responding to God's call to repentance. So the call to repentance has gone out. That was the job of the prophets. Go tell the people they need to repent. They're off track. They, they've gone off the road. They need to get back on the road. And so the prophet would go and say, repent and return. Come back to the Come back to the paths, the ancient paths that, that the Lord has laid out for you. He says in Hosea chapter 6, verse 1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, but he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Now we'll know in a couple of verses, this is the voice of Ephraim. Uh, the prophet is writing the voice of Ephraim, the people in the north. There, there are those who are saying, come, let's come back. Let's return to the Lord. We're, we're entered into a time of judgment. Judgment doesn't have to be the end. We can, uh, we can repent. The Lord can meet us here. The Lord can restore us. There's an interesting little uh, note, right, in verse 2 that, that kind of should strike some chords with us. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will, rise, he will raise us up. So a lot of people will make reference there to um, Jesus Christ rising on the third day. In 1 Corinthians 
15 verse 4, it says that Jesus Christ rose on the third day according to the scriptures. Maybe Hosea 6.2 is, is part of that reference, but that's just an aside. Right now, the people understand that the one who can heal them is the Lord, right? The Lord, he can heal us. If you remember earlier, last week in chapter 5, verse 14, the Lord said, I am the lion to Ephraim, like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. So the idea of that, the, that this judgment will come and then God will, will retreat from the air and the people are left wounded. So in chapter 6, the, the people, there's a voice of the people saying, Hey, let's return to the Lord. He who tore us can heal us. He who has brought his judgment can bring relief, right? This is the call uh, for the people to respond to, uh, to the Lord. But then verse 3, we have uh, a little bit of a problem and why Hosea chapter 6 is a picture of false repentance. In Hosea chapter 6 verse 3... It says, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the showers, like the spring rains that water the earth. Basically, they're arguing, look, we just need to do all the things we need to do. And if we do all these things right, then God is going to restore. God will put all these pieces back together. The, the problem is... Uh, not the desire to return to the Lord, but the idea that it is a little bit flippant. Uh, hey, look, we just do, look, all we got to do, it's, it's like that deal when, uh, I don't know, when you were young and your mom was mad and you said, look, I just got to tell mom what she wants to hear and she'll stop yelling at me and we'll have some peace. You guys can relate to any of those kind of things. And then did it have anything to do with you truly wanting to repent from whatever the problem was between you and your mother? No, it was just, I just want you to stop. So what do I, what do I got to do? Here's $5 if you'll be quiet, whatever. So this is, this is the attitude of Ephraim. They're saying, look, as sure as the sun comes up in the morning, as sure as the dawn, he will come to us. We just have to... We just have to punch the card. God wants us to know him, so let us know the Lord. Let's know the Lord. Let's, let's, uh, let's appease him. They were viewing it like they would any of their other idols. Okay, so we worship Baal, and, and here on the list it says, if it's not raining, this is what we need to do to appease Baal. This is the attitude they have toward the Lord. It's not a turning from their idolatry, and to follow God, it's a sense of we want to make an appeasement. We want to, we want to satisfy whatever the beef is. So we want you not to be mad at us. So we just are going to try to do what we think you need to do. It's kind of like trying to manipulate God by keeping commandments. Right? What did Jesus say about that? You've heard it said. You shall not murder. But I say to you, if you're angry at your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. 
But I say to you, if a man looks at a woman with lust in his eyes, he's committed adultery in his heart already. The point that Jesus is driving home about the law is that it's not outward observance. It's not, God doesn't need your outward observance. The problem is we are sinful through and through, right? It's a turning of our heart away from that to God. Sometimes people look at the Old Testament and they say, well, the Old Testament doesn't have anything like a relationship with Jesus. It's just a list of do's and don'ts. And if you see it that way, you're only seeing like they saw. You don't see the deeper cry of God's heart, which you're going to hear in chapter 6, which are words that Jesus also uttered in the Gospel of Matthew. God wanted them to want him. Not all the other things they were driven by. So listen to the Lord's voice in verse 4. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? So remember, the prophecy primarily, Hosea is focused on the north. That's Israel. That's Ephraim. That's the primary city of the northern kingdom. And the primary way they viewed the southern kingdom, they called the southern kingdom Judah, northern kingdom Israel. Sometimes they called them Ephraim and Judah, but uh, it's a reference to north and south. And so the Lord's saying, what, what am I going to do to you? He's letting Judah know through the prophet, hey, I know you're not as bad as them yet, but you're on the road. Like if you were to see two people driving down the road and you're looking at one person and they're just heading off the cliff, and then, you know, a mile behind them, somebody's on the same road. They're headed to the same cliff, right? This is, this is what the prophet is pointing out. He says, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like the morning cloud. So the, now we're listening to God's voice, and he's telling them what he wants. What does he want? He says, your love is like the morning cloud. It's like spring rains that water the earth. What's the point? What's the point? It's like the dew that goes away early. It doesn't last. Yeah? Does anybody want love like that? When we sit around and think, you know, I want, I'd like to have one great love in my life. Is the picture we have in our mind of that one great love, somebody who loves you in the morning and doesn't after that? Someone who is like the dew of the grass, you know, it's there now, but in an hour it's going to be dry. This is how God is describing the love of his people. He's saying, look, what am I going to do with you? you your love does not last. Your character is not consistent. You are fickle. You say with your lips, we will love you, but your hearts are far from me. You're trying to, to, to act a certain way on the outside, but your heart is still rebellious. Your heart doesn't want it. You don't, you're, you, so, you, so you shine uh, uh, early in the morning. Your love is like a morning cloud, you know, like the mist of the morning, like fog. But the fog don't stay. Eventually the sun breaks through the fog and it's all gone. You can't see hide nor hair of the fog or like the dew their character is not consistent so then God says so here's what I did 
Therefore, verse 5, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have hewn them. The idea is that they are hearts of stone. And so God is trying to form those hearts of stone into blocks that can fit together. What does he use to do that? The prophets. How do the prophets do it? They call them to repentance. Turn from your sin. It's, it's no different message than the message today. I was, I was reading a story today about uh, the, the whole uh, controversy with Roe v, Roe v. Wade and what's going to happen with that and, you know, what, what all that's going to bring. And the, the voices of the, the argument in support of continuing Roe v. Wade are heartbreaking. I don't know another way to see it. I'm not saying life's not hard. Life's hard. I'll tell you right now, life's hard. Yeah, sometimes bad things happen for sure. I get it. But the, I don't know how we get to that solution. I read a story today about uh, women who have decided that there's nothing wrong with not having children. And so they're encouraging women to, to uh, take the path where they won't have children. And that's, it's their you don't have to have children. Look, you do what you want. But society kind of needs life to make to continue. You know that, right? No one has children. Eventually, those little grandchildren you look at are going to be hungry because there's not going to be anybody to grow food. They're going to look around and say, what happened? Where's all the workers? Where's the people? Oh, they're gone. So... There's all of this, this heartache and heartbreak as I, as I look around and I hear the voice. And God says, I have sent the prophets to call you to me. So the Lord has given us direction, hasn't he? For all those issues in life. For all of them. We don't have to wonder whether or not life is precious. We don't have to wonder. God told us it was. We don't have to wonder about the races, because God said he made from one race all of man. God has told us. He has laid out for us. He is trying to hew the hearts of men by the voice of the prophets. So the prophets come and say, that's a bad road. There's bridges out. You need to turn here. And the people get mad at the prophets and stomp on a gas pedal. So he sends another prophet and that prophet stands in the middle of the road and he says, Hey, whoa, whoa, you can't go this way. If you go this way, you're going to die. They just run over him. Yeah, because the bodies of the prophets are buried all over Israel. So he is trying to hew the hearts of the people through the prophets. And he says, I have slain them by the words of my mouth and my judgment goes forth as light. So he's saying, I'm clearly speaking through my word to the people so that they can know, just like you know, light from darkness. So if you're standing in the middle of darkness and you see light, you know it's there, right? It's not like, oh, I didn't notice that light at all. No, have you ever been pulled over at night and they shine that crazy bright light in your mirror? Oh, I wouldn't know because it never happens to me, but I'm just curious if... Some of you guys had experienced that, that brightly, it'd be like saying, oh, I, I, 
Oh, the officer walks up to the door and we say, I, I didn't know you were here. You didn't see the bright light? The Lord is saying, look, I, I spoke to you. My words came forth, my judgment like light. And God's judgment was not, hey, okay, well, what, wham, I'm just going to get rid of you guys. There were judgment after judgment after ju prophet by prophet by prophet. God speaking and speaking and speaking. The people rebelling, rebelling, rebelling until he lets them go. He lets them go. They go where they have been pleading all along. They go where the road they've been driving on leads. It's God who is calling them to come off. Get off the road. So this idea of God's judgment was not believed. The people would say, God's not really going to judge us. Come on, it's all going to be okay. Jeremiah spent his whole life, right? 40 years telling the people of Judah, hey, man, the Babylonians are coming. Just surrender. You're entering into judgment. Stop fighting. Why should you die, Israel? Just just go into captivity, have lives, live your life in a foreign land, and God will bring you back after 70 years. You know how many people listen to him? Nobody. Nobody. They, didn't, they wouldn't believe the, the word of God as the word of God was delivered as light to the people. Listen to verse 6. Hosea 6, 6. What does God say? For I desired steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. Some of our Bibles might say I desired mercy rather than sacrifice. It's, a, it's the same idea. The word translated in Hosea 6.6 6 is, a, is a Hebrew word chesed. Chesed means faithful love. And faithful love always has compassion and mercy. So it's always linked, the idea of a faithful, steadfast love. It's not a flighty love. It's not a love that gives up. It's not a love that says, you know, I really love you, but you hurt my feelings. So I don't love you anymore. It's not a love that says, I love you today, but I don't love you tomorrow. What did the Lord say to the nation of Israel? I have loved you with a everlasting love. Does that mean he won't bring judgment? No, it doesn't. He will. He's trying to correct, to steer a people back onto the, onto the proper road. He says, I desire your love, not your sacrifice. They were stuck with the idea. Okay, 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 okay. God's mad. Everybody go home, get your sacrifices. Let's come. We'll have a, we'll have a week-long sacrifice to the Lord, and we'll, we'll make them happy, and this will all go away. And God's like, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your faithful love. I want you to be with me like I'm with you. I want, I want your heart. This is what the Lord is declaring. He says, I want you to know me. That word, just so you're, we're all clear, that word is the same word if I go back into Genesis and I say, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she bore for him a son. The idea of that knowledge is a close, intimate 
knowledge. It's not the word for sex, but it alludes to the idea in human relationships that oftentimes that close relationship brings forth children. So here the Lord is saying, I want you to know me intimately. I want you to have, this is Old Testament, guys. I want you to have an intimate relationship with me. It's not about the sacrifices. It's about your steadfast love. It's about your compassion for one another. It's about your love for me. I want you to know me. And if we're if we're honest as human beings, that's a normal desire for us all. It's part of the fingerprint of God of, in creation on mankind. Because no matter what man says, every man everywhere wants that. He may not want it with a million people, but he wants it with somebody. We want to be connected to someone. We want to find that connection. The Lord is saying, this is what I want. Jesus, when he was standing before the, the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 9, 13, he said to them, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's telling the same guys who are saying, listen, there's rules. Here's a list of rules. Your, your disciples break them or you're healing people on the Sabbath. And then Jesus says, you, you're missing the point. God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Same idea, that word for mercy, the word for compassion and love. Jesus, who would look upon a person with a, with a withered hand on the Sabbath and have compassion for him and heal him, and they would say, you broke the Sabbath. And Jesus would say, how can I break the Sabbath? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm, I'm the one who made it. I can't break it. And so he would look at those same men and say, you teach as the commandments of God, the traditions of men. God never said you can't heal on the Sabbath. In fact, Jesus said, if you had an animal fall into a pit, would you take it out on the Sabbath? Yeah. So why shouldn't I have more compassion for a human being than you have for your donkey? Jesus would say in Matthew 12, 7, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, then you would not have condemned the guiltless. They wouldn't have looked down uh, at other people. They would have recognized the call of God because when we love God the way God's asking us to love, Romans chapter 5 says that the things that we experience in our life they produce in us character, and that character gives us hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God is poured into our life by the Holy Spirit. So when we love God, the Spirit of God pours more love into us so that we can reflect the character of God. See, it's, it's a circle. It's not a circle we maintain. It's a circle maintained by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the strength to do it is given to us by God. We're able to, to join that link in Micah, the prophet Micah. We'll, we'll get to him in a couple of weeks. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good 
And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly before your God? Same mindset that he's calling for. He, He wants us to have an attitude that wants to be faithful to God, to wants to give faithful love to God. So here the people are saying, Oh, okay, guys, let's all go give our sacrifice and we'll, we'll appease God so he's not mad and we can avert this judgment. And God's saying, what should I do with you? I don't want your sacrifices. I want your heart. I don't, I don't want you to do things you think you have to do. I want you to do the things you want to do because you want to please me. This is the call that God gives. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, The Lord says, Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying his voice? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. So so it's, it's not about the doing of these things, piling up a list of sacrifices that you can make to appease God, but rather the desire to know God is your priority. See, if I know you, I I know what you want from me. This is why we kind of got to get set in our minds. This is why you can have a man like David who was a murderer and an adulterer and a man after God's own heart at the same time. Not because he was perfect and he he gave the right sacrifice. In fact, in Psalm 51, he says... There's no sacrifice for me to give, or I would give it. David had sinned with a high hand. There's no sacrifice for sin with a high hand. But if you, like that tax collector, come before the Lord with a heart wanting to, desiring to know him and have a relationship, and you ask him for mercy, what's he give? Every time. Every time. So... Showing faithfulness is our pursuit. Knowing God is to be our priority. And then he's going to give us three examples in these next couple of verses that you might miss. So I'm not going to let you miss them. The three examples he gives are three places. And these three places all have either historical significance or he's playing a word game. The first one's a bit of a word game. And then you have two historical places that we don't want to miss what he's pointing to so we can understand what it is that he's talking about. So at the end of verse 6, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But in contrast to my desire, like Adam, they transgress the covenant. Now, Adam, we know that. We all know who Adam is, right? Adam, we have Adam and Eve, the fall of man. Back in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says that Eve was deceived, but Adam transgressed. The difference is Eve was fooled, tricked, and Adam was not. He, he stepped across the line knowing what he was doing. This is why Adam bears the, the, the brunt of the judgment and ultimately uh, stands before God to give account for what he did because his job was to protect and cover his family so so he has that moment so so in this this is the word play but like adam they transgressed the the covenant 
pointing to the person, Adam, who transgressed. They broke their promises. Did Adam break his promise to God? God said, don't eat the fruit. What did Adam do? Ate the fruit. That's breaking your promise. Did the people of Israel break their promise to God? Yeah, they broke their promise to God. So like Adam, they have transgressed the covenant. And then he uses the place, Adam. There's a city of Adam. And there they dealt faithlessly with me. Adam was the city. You may not remember the story. Maybe you do. If you're very good at Bible trivia, you may know. When Joshua brings the children of Israel across the Jordan River, the Bible says that he stopped up the water at Adam, a city called Adam. So he says, there they dealt, they dealt faithlessly with me. So the first picture, Adam broke his covenant, but there crossing the Jordan, people were a little bit freaked out. You remember the Jordans in flood stage? God, how are we going to get across? Was God's word, just trust me, I'll take care of you. There they dealt faithlessly with me, but God was faithful. And he stopped, stopped up the water. And the water, if you read in Joshua, it'll tell you the water stopped up at a city called Adam. So, so he makes this reference to this place. Then he goes on to Gilead in verse 8. Gilead is a city of evildoers tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. So Gilead uh, is famous for a number of incidences, but primarily you have this one. This is where Laban caught up with Jacob in Gilead. Laban catches up with Jacob and accused him of treachery there. He accused Jacob. Jacob in Gilead prepared to meet Esau, his brother and in Gilead um, Jacob uh, had the encounter with the angel of the Lord in Genesis 32 where he wrestled all night the last part of the phrase there the priests band together um, it's unusual it, uh, it literally means they stained the footprints with blood it's a peculiar word and peculiar phrase that uh, kind of sets in our minds the same idea that we have um, with Bethel and Bethaven. You remember them last time? I said Jacob, remember Bethel was the place, the house of God where Jacob has a dream, wakes up and says, God was with me and I didn't even know it. And life's been kind of hard, but now I realize God's with me. I'm going to call this place Bethel. Later on, Hosea changes the name of the place to Bethaven instead of house of God house of wickedness because their hearts have turned away from God. So in the same way, we have, we have this uh, um, change with this footprints of blood that, uh, that we have at, at toward the end of the verse. So the idea here is that this is the, this is the, the place where the worst characteristics of Jacob, his selfishness, his cunning, his human abilities to try to make something better um, come into a place where they're redeemed by his experiences with God. He wrestled with God. God touches his hip. Jacob learns to trust God in that place. But 
what the prophet is saying is instead of learning the lessons that you should have learned from Jacob in Gilead, from his experiences, learning that I don't need to try to connive or be cunning, or I don't need to try to, to send all the presents ahead to my brother Esau. I don't need to try to think of all the ways I can manipulate the world to, to lay down before me. What I need to do is just surrender to God. But he's saying instead of, of you learning that, rather you're leaving behind you footprints of blood. The priests band together and there are footprints tracked with blood. He's looking at the leaders, the people who should have been leading the nation and the ones who could have said, Gilead, yes, this is where Jacob learned that he didn't have to try to manipulate the world, but that God was with him. But instead, Gilead now is a place filled with the blood of the innocent because the priests are acting like robbers. Instead of leading the people in truth, they are fleecing the flock and robbing them. And this is the this is what the this is what the prophet is delivering. And then the third city they bring up is Shechem. So Shechem, he says, now uh, they murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. So Shechem, the most famous thing about Shechem is Shechem was a place where Simeon and Levi murdered an entire town because a man had raped their sister and he had confessed and was willing to undergo circumcision so he could marry her and try to make things right. Uh, in the text, we don't know whether or not Dinah was, was for or against it. She doesn't have a voice in the text. But the ruler of the city was the one who did it. And so he commanded all the men of the city to be circumcised. And they were all circumcised. And while they were all in pain, unable to do anything, Simeon and Levi walked through the town and killed every man and took every woman slave. And they did it there in Shechem. And so Hosea alludes to a place where Levi, the father of the priesthood, was guilty of murder. And so Levi, as, as the Lord is, is laying out for us, he's saying, here's what I want. I want your steadfast love. But instead of your steadfast love, uh, you break your covenant to me like Adam. You don't have any trust in me like back when the children of Israel were crossing the, the Jordan River. Um, you should have learned from the examples of the patriarchs before you, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you haven't learned. Rather, you've become more murderous than they. And the priesthood that should be leading you out is leading the charge in the murder. This is the charge that the prophet is bringing uh, before the people. So the Lord makes a conclusion. Here's his conclusion. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. And for you also, O Judah, 
a harvest is appointed. So, so their date of judgment is yet future. And then he has this phrase that we'll see a little bit more of next week when we get into chapter 7. A hint of better things to come when I restore the fortunes of my people. So there's a, every time God speaks of exile and judgment, he also speaks of redemption. So there's, the point being there's always a way to be redeemed to God. And the greatest example we have is from the lips of Jesus when he says two men went down to the temple to pray. And one man said, I'm so thankful I'm not like that guy. And that guy said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, it's the one who said, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I'm like these guys. I'm like Jacob. I'm not better than Jacob. I'm like Israel. I'm not better than Israel. I'm like that, the priesthood back then. And I have this same problem with wickedness and I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You know, the guy who wrote that hymn, eventually did that. The guy who wrote that hymn became an apostate. And years later, he was on a train. And on that train, he was despondent. And he was looking for some kind of hope. And the woman across from him in the train was, was reading something. And so he asked her, she said she was reading some poetry. And so he asked if she would read it to him. And she was reading the hymn he wrote. So she said back to him that verse. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The idea is, you know, the, the verse goes on to say, Lord, take my heart and seal it. Uh, I can't trust my heart. I need you to hold me. And, and uh, there on the train, the writer of the song had an opportunity to respond to the words he had written years before. It's not about some kind of pretending that we're, we've, we're elevated past that. The story of Torah is God makes rules and man breaks them. That's about as simple as I can make it. God makes rules, man breaks them. So God makes more rules, man breaks them. So God makes more rules, man breaks them. So God sends his son to provide a way for rule breakers like you and I find shelter from the wrath of God in the loving arms of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you that we can come to this book. Lord, I pray that we would be challenged by the words we see that we read in Scripture. We would be challenged by the things you call us to, even though that we could know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God, who you are, what you've done, how you have provided for us, that we would put our faith, our trust, our hope in you, God, that you would be glorified and magnified in all the things we choose. God, help us not to fall into the trap of, of pride and arrogance, but help us to really hear the call 
Lord, that you make in Hosea 6, 6, I want your steadfast love. I want you to know me. That's the desire of God. When Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. This is your desire, Lord. God, I pray that we would have a desire to love you and to know you. uh, And we can express that and be empowered to do that through the blood of Jesus Christ, your son. So we give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.